The shifting landscapes of America, to me, it's the mythic West, so it isn't touched backwards to the work of people like John Ford. The image of Travis leaving at the end, going back to wandering again, having delivered his own son back to his son's mother, is kind of in some way related to John Wayne leaving at the end of The Searchers. The immensity of America, the sense that people can get lost in that world. Those are words from director Sam Mendes on Vin Vendor's 1984 film, Paris, Texas. Seeing Faces in Movies is a podcast where each month I focus on the works of a different director or cinematographer, and each week I invite a guest on to discuss a film and the artist's filmography. Today we're talking about Paris, Texas, and a quick synopsis of the film is Travis Henderson, an aimless drifter who has been missing for four years, wanders out of the desert, and must reconnect with society, himself, his life, and his family. The tagline for the film is, a place for dreams, a place for heartbreak, a place to pick up the pieces. The film stars Harry Dean Stanton as Travis Henderson, Dean Stockwell as Walt Henderson, Ahok Clement as Anne Henderson, Hunter Carson as Hunter Henderson, and Nastasia Kinski as Jane Henderson. It's written by Sam Shepard, adapted from a story by L.M. Kit Carson, cinematography by Robbie Mueller, edited by Peter Priscotta, and music by Ry Cooter. So today my guest is Brendan Ross, who is the curator for a series called Neon Dreams. I first met you, I guess, from just going to the screenings and whatnot. And I'm just going to nerd out here for a little bit <laughs> and just give a little backstory about my relationship to the series. So back, this must be, I think it's actually exactly 2015. A good friend, Peter, he and I worked together and we'd always go see movies together at the Royal because we worked down near Trinity Bellwoods. So it was just like a walk up for us. And he's like, do you want to go see this movie that's on at the Royal tonight? I was like, fine. Didn't look to see what it was get there it happens to be miracle mile had never heard of this movie before and i went in just totally blind left life changed <laughs> like i was obsessed with it my friend didn't love it that much admittedly it's not really <laughs> his vibe but he he went to other ones but then after that i went to every single neon dreams screening even ones that where i was kind of like oh, i don't know like uh eight million ways to die <laughs> which i was kind of like i don't know if this is going to be my vibe because i'm not a huge jeff bridges person but i went to go see it loved it hal ashby loved that you know then i moved away to ireland and missed like about a year and out of a kid so i can't come as often but i try and go whenever i can because sometimes it'll be movies that i i already know and love and want to go see and sometimes it's stuff i've never heard of before so you know i'll let you <laughs> introduce yourself but you know i'm a huge fan of neon dreams so i'd love for you to tell the listeners a little bit about neon dreams yourself and what your relationship is to cinema and specifically you know the the films of Robbie Mueller. Oh cool. well, thank you, Felicia. That was that's so nice. Um, I'm so glad that Miracle Man was your first screening because that was a like massive one for me. That was like the, that was the first time I've ever done a uh, a Q and A. Like we actually flew in the director Steve Jarnett to come in mm -hmm. from LA. And again, for someone who's never actually like done a Q and A before, it was exhilarating and terrifying and exciting and all all of the emotions at once. That's a, that was a very memorable screening. So I'm glad that that was the one that you made it to uh, first. Yeah, a bit of about neon dreams i've been doing it since since 2015 that was like one of one of the first 
first screenings. Originally, it was I was very focused on like kind of neo-noir crime thrillers, typically just movies where people get shot under neon lights while <laughs> synth pop plays in the background. That was mm-hmm. kind of it. Um, at the time, I thought I would be doing it for like, you know, maybe like a couple of months before somebody would be like, that's enough. But I managed to build an audience and they let me keep doing it. So I kind of had to like broaden my scope a little bit. Uh, and now I'm more focused. It's not exclusively a crime series anymore. And it's more focused on kind of vibe and like the mood that it sets. And yeah, it's always been a thing that I've had a difficult time explaining what these movies mm-hmm. are, because I've definitely had these conversations. People are like, oh, like just kind of can't be old like so good they're bad movies and i'm like no and fuck you <laughs> not that at all um but yeah i think for the most part the people that do keep coming they really kind of got what it was and like they understand that like there is a lot of these movies are very over the top and kind of audacious but in a way that they're just like pure craft and like the kind of films that everybody involved in them really cares like i don't i, I would never want to intentionally show like a bad movie mm-hmm. yeah that's a bit about it and then I, yeah it's uh i've kept going with it i've switched over after the whole pandemic happened i switched to like an online version for a while where we just kind of did like digital screenings and uh, had like a live chat going on and we'd like raise money for different charities uh, that was a lot of fun because we don't have to worry about like booking fees and we can just play whatever we want we don't have to worry about like enough people buying tickets it's just like i'm gonna mm-hmm. play this weird movie and that was a great way to like get through that hellish time and then after the world opened up again i moved over to the review cinema and uh it's been great yeah it's like you said, I've seen the, I wasn't sure what year it had started. So it's cool that I've been going that, that long and also realizing how young I would have been at that time versus now. <laughs> so it feels like a whole different era, but I have also seen like the evolution of the different films that you've shown and, you know, the people I'll never forget. And I know this is not a podcast about not neon dreams, but just it's my excuse to talk about movies I love. I'll never forget certain screenings like we when you did out of the blue and oh, a few of us went and we just randomly met up with some people who had, were at the screening at the bar next door and we were talking about it, but we're all just kind of like silently sitting there for a <laughs> bit because we were like, um, I'm traumatized. <laughs> Yeah. And I try like for the for the longest time it was like, oh, this is just nothing but good vibes. But then yeah, lately I've been like, I don't know. There's there's room for bad vibe screenings too. Yep. As yep. long as they're vibes, you know? <laughs> yeah, that is a try. I feel like every time I see a school bus now, I just like stop oh, no. at my tracks. Like I can't handle it anymore. Yeah, it's really <laughs> yeah. ruined school buses for me. What uh, a movie. I yeah. Know. What a movie. But I'd love to hear a little bit more about your relationship to the films of Robbie Miller. You know, how did you get into his stuff? When did you start noticing him as a cinematographer? Yeah, I mean, I guess I I should preface by saying that, like, I I don't have like an academic background in terms of uh, cinematography or just an academic Mm -hmm. approach in general to it. The easiest way to put it is I like neon lights and I like colors and uh, I just like those like it's also not just like the lighting, although that is he is kind of like the master of light. That's sort of his thing but there is also just this kind of deliberately paced approach that he takes to shooting uh he's a lot of wide angles and just there's a lot of space in his frames and uh he just really captures something that it kind of seems dreamy and sort of otherworldly but also just there's something so natural about it and 
those films like even before I got into knowing like who cinematographers even were and like being able to differentiate like this movie was shot by this person this movie was shot I think I just always kind of know like I would watch Repo Man and I would watch Paris Texas mm-hmm. and be like there's something like these are two wildly different movies and like you know the the pacing and the editing and the way they're performed is wildly different but they have this kind of similar not even look but just like feel like there's like a language to them uh, and I think mm-hmm. that really drew me to him and once I finally realized that like oh this guy he who also did like Lars von Trier movies and like you know the best yeah. Ginger Mush movies and stuff and I was just like my god who and I just went on this like tear and I wanted to see it was the first time that I was more interested in like a cinematographer than I was a director and yeah I just kind of fell in love with like the world that he was able to create with his camera I guess that's the the easiest and vaguest way that I could put it <laughs> no I identify with all of that I think not that you know I I did go to film school but I studied you know film history and maybe it's different now but cinematography or the way things were shot were always kind of attributed to the director when I was Mm -hmm. in school which sounds like it's ages ago and it probably is kind (laughs) of ages ago but I assume now things are different it wasn't until seeing the films that he worked on that I actually like realized it's him doing this you know Mm -hmm. because something like a Paris Texas or Repo Man are like my all-time favorite films and then I love the Jarmusch stuff I love the Von Trier stuff and just being like oh I've recognized that name okay so I see what he's doing here so I think that's a good segue to getting into one of the first points I wanted to talk about because you're talking about like vibes he is a cinematographer that has his own quirks that you kind of see but he does adapt to the story it's not like he has a specific vision where he's like this is how I shoot everything needs to come around that he will adapt but he has like you know the lighting the neon that you see but he basically kind of just works on vibes and I say that because I'm doing research on him and the way he talks about the way he shoots he just says it's through feelings he's like he rarely discusses technical stuff prior to it he doesn't really care about the camera he's using or the lenses he just wants to get out there hold the camera himself he doesn't use an operator and just feel the scene the location where he is as opposed to being like i need this specific camera that he know and he's using the natural lighting so for you when you're watching his films do you feel that he's kind of just taking in his environment and utilizing that yeah 100 percent. like i definitely get the feeling like some of the stuff i mean you know we're we're focusing on on paris texas i think some of that stuff you really get the feeling that you just kind of like made it up on the spot like they arrived on a location Mm -hmm. and i guess like to use an example one shot that really comes to mind is do you remember like at the end when travis and uh and his son are coming back from the bar um, Mm -hmm. after they first saw um oh i'm forgetting uh, Natasha kinski's uh character name uh, Jane Jane thank you <laughs> after they first saw Jane then he took his into the bar and him and Hunter are leaving the bar and walking across the street to the hotel and it's mm-hmm. just this dark dusty road where there's just newspapers blowing all around you can't like plan that like I, I know that they mm-hmm. I'm sure they put newspapers down to like make them blow it around but just the way that like the wind kind of caught that and the, the way that the sun was setting on it I feel like they just kind of arrived and they were like oh this is something let's see what we can do like that's kind of the impression I get I think with like all of his work but with this one especially it really does yeah. feel like it was just like this like lightning in a bottle they just kind of were like let's kind of run with it and see what we can capture yeah that's how I feel about it I think it's that especially when you're talking about Paris Texas and and the work that he did with vendors, they talk about how they're both not American and they're being put into this Texas landscape, which is different than even you and I are familiar with because 
we live in Canada, we don't really have that mm-hmm. desert landscape, at least in Ontario. Mm-hmm. And for them to navigate, not romanticizing it. And when I was reading them say that, I thought that was really interesting because I think when the film opens up on the desert landscapes there behind Travis and you see how vast and beautiful it is, you kind of just romanticize it yourself. At least I do. Where I'm like, oh, this is so beautiful. It'd be nice to live there. And I'm sure it probably isn't you know, yeah, totally. the best. So for them, they were like, we are provided with something so visually beautiful how do we not make it better than it actually is how do we just present it in its realness so when it comes to like the landscapes in this because that's kind of what this film is known for how do you feel about the way the landscapes are shot because sometimes for other people if someone else were to take this it could overpower the story Mm -hmm. yeah well that's a really good point actually about how like you know obviously like they they are foreigners and they are kind of you know they're not native to this land and you do definitely have a there's a distinct difference like i've seen movies shot in texas made by texans and this Mm -hmm. doesn't look like that at all and there is kind of this like outsider looking in perspective that does give it like a different feel where again exactly what what, like you said it's like it's almost like looking at as if you're on vacation you're like oh like this place is beautiful i have like a week in this place i'm gonna just like milk it for all its beauty whereas somebody who might like live in that exact same town they would probably look at it like a completely different way yeah it, it might be a little bit less romantic and just like the way that they thought so you really feel that they're just like kind of stunned by like this is completely different than like where we're from and we're just completely captivated by like this weird bizarre kind of desolate beauty that this place has nothing about it is particularly pretty like the locations aren't pretty Mm -hmm. at all like a lot of them look very sad and like ultimately it's a sad movie about sad people (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) navigating us like very sad lives full of regrets but they managed to kind of strike these like beautiful images of sad places uh in a way that like i don't think i've ever seen before it looks beautiful but it's also there's a lot of ugliness even like the shot where travis is sitting on the broken down like yellow truck i could shoot that and it would look absolutely hideous right (laughs) Right. because it's not you know the most beautiful sight certainly if it was a tractor in toronto (laughs) (laughs) i mean jeez What I love is just their respect for their environment and treating it with love, but not making it something it's not. Because as you said, this is a very sad story. And also just not being like, oh, this is a sad story. It needs to look super grim and dark Mm -hmm. all the time. You know, the dark scenes that we have in this film are gorgeous with Mm -hmm. the lights, the neon. There is a quote I do want to read quickly from Mueller on just the framing in his shots. So he says, showing off is what Mueller equates with singling out portions of the image in a way that is inconsistent with the story. He says, what I try to avoid is pointing at something so that I become patronizing to the people who look at the image. I'd rather give the audience the chance to discover it themselves. For me, that's a very important thing, that you still have things to discover for yourself. So what I like about that is, I'm sure you've also seen this movie several times, Every time I do see it, I notice something else or something different in the frames that is something that's beautiful and gorgeous and even something that could be really important to the story, but wasn't called to attention right away. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting the way he does that, where, as you said, like shooting in wider frames, there's no real zooms on things that we to be like, you should pay attention to this because this is important later. It's more so you figure it out. You'll see it, whether you see it in this viewing or other viewings, you'll see it. So how do you feel about, and this is a a large question because (laughs) there's so many beautiful shots and frames in this film, but the framing 
naming and just letting people discover things on their own. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the strongest things about the film is that there's never any moment where you feel like you're kind of forced into any emotions. Obviously, there's a lot of films where it's like, this is the part where you're sad and this is the comic yeah. relief part and this is the part where the music's going to swell and it's going to force you into like having these emotions. Whether you like it or not, like it's all just kind of this machine uh, and I don't feel like that with this film at all. Uh, it never really guides you. And I mean, and, and this is more, I guess, about like the, the plotting of the film, but I love how, how this film starts so small and there's absolutely no context given into like how we got here, who these people are. And then over time, it just kind of expands and it just gets bigger and bigger. You eventually start to know these people, not from any like expositional dialogue or anything, mm -hmm. but just from like, oh, you get to like live with these people for a couple of hours and you get to like watch their faces and see how they interact with each other. And as the story kind of goes along, new characters introduced and you see how they interact with those characters, you really get a sense of who these people are. And I think there's not enough of that. You know, I feel like mm -hmm. so many, so many films, not even just nowadays, but even at the time, like in 1984, like I think this was a rarity at that time too, when it was, you were kind of being force fed, like this is how you're supposed to react to the plot. I think it's absolutely beautiful how it lets you kind of it's like, choose your own adventure for lack of a better mm -hmm. term. Yeah. And that's something that he says himself. He's like, I, and whether I even agree with this or not, because this is his way of viewing, he's like, for me, I'm just shooting things. I'm trying to capture the story, but I'm not guiding the story. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like because his work is so beautiful, I think that he's also creating a story. But I, I do see what he's saying. As he said, like, you, you're never kind of pushed into feeling a certain way. And sometimes the camera can do that. Sometimes music can do that words. I noticed that for this one, because for me, I have always gotten super emotional watching this movie. And I, I love the story that I'm watching. And most people do feel the same way. But I've, I've talked to you like good friends who are like, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel after this. You know, they seem like kind of shitty parents. Am I supposed to be rooting for them? And I was like, <laughs> right. that's valid. Yeah, I was so wrapped up in everything else that I wasn't thinking about that. Yeah. Well, I, I actually want to pause on that. Like your, your friend asking you, like, how am I supposed to feel? Like, that's such a, I don't know, that, that's to me, that's kind of like a great question. It's like, well, how do you feel? <laughs> you know, yeah. like, you're not really supposed to feel any one way or another. And like, you know, maybe like, I'll feel one way and you'll feel a completely different way. And like, I don't know, that's, that's kind of a beautiful thing. I do want to talk about, I mean, lighting is obviously a huge thing. For me, I, I love the daytime scenes. What I always associate him with is kind of nighttime or what I love about him the most is his nighttime shooting and mm -hmm. the lighting there. And I know there's like there's one really kind of famous shot where Travis and Walter inside the diner and they have the, the car lights on the outside lighting them in. And I just love that shot. People are just being like, why don't we just turn on the car lights yeah. <laughs> and see? So it's stuff like that where it's just kind of utilizing the environment around them. So for you, are there any other shots that really stick out and, and why? Because there's so much to pick from, but there's always going to be like a few shots that always stick in your brain. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, the, the, the whole the whole movie does feel very Edward Hopper-esque, I guess, is the way that it kind of has this, you know, it uses it uses shadows and uses is light to kind of like tell a story of America almost. But I mean, the one that you mentioned that that is brilliant because 
Mm-hmm. And, and I love seeing that. And I love talking about that stuff because I feel like, you know, you can listen to like some of the like, you know, hotshot cinematographers and they can go, they can, you know, have like a 16 page essay on like how they got like one single shot. But you watch something like that and it's literally just run me would be like, yeah, it's a little dark. Why don't we flip on our headlights? We got them. They're yeah. right here. Let's, why don't we see how that looks? And then they probably both looked it together and they were like, that's pretty good. Uh, mm-hmm. And I love that stuff where you can just, and, and, and I can, again, goes back to what you're saying about how like it's all instinctive. Like, I feel like they just kind of get there and they're like, you know, it would look really good if we turned on this light. But uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that is kind of there's some of their strongest suits and it doesn't feel like impossible setups, like everything seems so like attainable. And you're like, oh, yeah, I kind of can get an idea of how they did that. And I can see why they did that. And I always mm-hmm. feel like, I don't know, that that's so much more impressive than anything that like that you're you look at a shot and be like, I'm completely baffled by how anybody could possibly have pulled that off. Like the answer is kind of right there in front of you. It's more about like how you got to how you got to the place where you're like, this is the best best option to go with yeah in terms of like particular shots i mean definitely i don't know the, the theme park peep show thing just yeah. the whole design of that is mind-blowing <laughs> and apparently they did they built that like from scratch like i don't think that's a real <laughs> thing that's ever existed anywhere um no. and just yeah the way that's lit i always think about like there's in like the center of the hallway to get into each of the individual rooms there's that cigarette machine with the green neon light mm. emanating from it <sighs> i mean again i i can't explain why that is so beautiful beyond just it's beautiful yeah. like it just works it's the framing of it just kind of just works and it works for that scene yeah it's just it's consistent with like the mood of the film and it just uh it's just a beautiful image and each of those individual rooms i kind of want to see we only got to see two of them i want to see all yeah <laughs> same I- i'd love to have a little museum in there yeah <laughs> and when he first walks in and there's that the, it's just like the bar that's not even open yet and there's like a band kind of rehearsing and you've got a john lurie cameo and it's just like yep. what is this place like it's so <laughs> exciting yeah those would definitely be some of my favorite i mean there's it's 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 so hard to just pick one image but that's definitely like the one where it's like oh we've reached a new level here when he goes inside that mysterious building that he has no idea what he's walking into and then he gets that yeah that just excited me to no end oh yeah i mean i think if i walk into a building where i'm like i don't know what's going on here but if i just see john murray posted up <laughs> on the bar i'd be like all right i'm I'll good yeah <laughs> We're going in. No, you most certainly shouldn't. No. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, we're talking about instincts. Those are bad instincts, please. <laughs> I know. It's just, you know, it's the thirst. <laughs> yeah. But I mentioned that every time I watch this, I notice something different or something else sticks out to me. Just another quick shot that I loved was when they're on the road before they even get back to LA. It wasn't the the diner that we were talking about. It's another place. And uh, Travis finally eats. And they're kind of sitting yeah. outside on those little swivelly chairs. And I was like, yeah. where is this place? It's insane. Those chairs. I cannot yeah. stare up staring at the chairs and the way it's kind of lit from under. I love them. Yeah. There's like a train going by, I believe. Mm-hmm. And like, man, Vim vendors and trains, what is up? <laughs> Who knows, man? I mean, I'm down for it. Yeah, it's definitely like some sort of a kink, I'm sure. <laughs> but I, mean, I really love trains. <laughs> I mean, you know, who knows what's going on over there in Europe? But <laughs> um, speaking of vendors, 
they've worked together a lot. Yeah. And what they say when they talk about each other is that sometimes they didn't even really need to speak too much. They kind of just had the same vision. And you see that, you know, those partnerships between directors and cinematographers, when they work, they really work. And they he had some great relationships also with Jarmusch and your freaking obviously, but vendors, they got the best out of each other. And I know we're only talking about Paris, Texas, but how do you feel in terms of the films that you've seen that they've done together, how they kind of riff off each other? Yeah, I, I think their relationship is, you know, obviously very special. And I think that it's like, I mean, that's got to be the staple of like any like dream, like, a, you know, you always want to like collaborate well and have like, you know, a, a partner. I mean, I can't imagine being as lucky as to find like, you know, these two people were when they found each other. But yeah, there, and there's there's a lot I haven't seen, but I did actually recently watch uh, Kings of the Road. Mm -hmm. And I watched that pretty recently when I was like homesick, which is kind of the best way to watch it when you're just like stretched out on the couch, like unable to really move and just like oh let me just like lay in bed let those images wash over me and yeah i mean and you definitely like obviously it's black and white the colors aren't quite as mm -hmm. like, vibrant as they as they are here for obvious reasons but it really does have it's just like you know the angles you know those those wide vast shots uh, it's all there like all the blueprints for like their later collaboration are all on display and you really get the feeling because it wasn't like the first movie that either of them have done but it mm -hmm. really feels like they kind of helped each other develop their own styles and and that was kind of the genesis of like both of their works. And like, you know, obviously like Vin Vendors went and he's, he has worked with other people and so it was Robbie Mueller, but in each direction they had, they kind of took a piece of that working relationship and took that with them, I think. And and you have to remind me, was that, that wasn't their first movie, was it? They didn't work before that? Um, Together? Yeah, together. No, they had done Summer in the City, which is the first right. they did together. I haven't seen that. Have you? No, I was just, that's why I pulled it up quickly to double yeah, check yeah. if it was the first or not. No, they did it quite a few before. They did three before they even got to um, Alice in the Cities. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. In the cities. yeah. There's a lot that I still have to see. Uh, but to me, that that was my first, the first collaboration that I saw. And yeah, you really just get the fact that they were, I, I don't know, I guess their skills were pretty honed, but they mm -hmm. really did just kind of complement each other in a big way. It's it's funny that you mentioned uh, Kings in the Road, because first time I saw that was the Lightbox years back was mm -hmm. putting on the Road Trilogy. Mm -hmm. So I bought, this is when they used to do like packages for, they used to do at the beginning when they first opened like double bills a lot. And sometimes they would do triple. So I was young and I could sit through three movies <laughs> in like a theater. So I did it. And Kings in the Road is the third of the trilogy. <laughs> By that time, you're getting tired. But I just remember it was late. And this, I don't think this spoils the film. I don't know if there's really spoilers in this. But the scene, the specific poop scene in that yep. movie oh, yeah. um, has not left my brain since it's been <laughs> over a decade. I was like, sir, what? <laughs> <laughs> that was new to me. I somehow didn't get that spoiled. So yeah, that was uh, <laughs> yeah, that was a good shocker when that happened. <laughs> yeah. And then I immediately had to Google. I was like, was this... Oh, this is real. Okay. Yeah. This actually happened. <laughs> yeah. So I always associate that movie with that, which is fine. It's still a great movie. I still highly recommend it, but <laughs> just a side note. But yeah, their work together is just really magical. And just to see what they could do in both black and white and color, but him always having the ability to adapt to the director he's working on because as he said he's just shooting the story that they gave them he is being given what he should be shooting and that's what he does because in his mind he's just 
I just did my job. I'm leaving. A journeyman type. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Which I love. I love that about him. He's just like a relaxed dude. Not that it's bad to take your job seriously. I mean, if you're good at it, why not? You've earned the right. But I'm more of a relaxed type person. I love relaxed people who are like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, me too. And I don't think like, you know, like, I don't know who comes to mind is like the opposite of that, like David Fincher, I guess. Like, I don't think David Fincher yeah. could have made a movie like this and it wouldn't have those feels that you get. Mm-hmm. It would have been so controlled and so specific and everything happens for a reason. And I love movies where you're just like, why did that just happen? Why did we just, why did we just watch a man defecate like that? Surely that wasn't <laughs> part of the plot. That didn't have to be in there, but there it is. And uh, yeah. I feel like I know that character a little bit more now. <laughs> oh, yeah. For, we're in it. We're personal. Yeah. <laughs> Best friends now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I, that's what I love about sometimes, even with this, I'm sure there's shots where that weren't planned and they were like, that looks kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Can we use it? Maybe we will. Maybe we won't. Let's shoot it. And it just makes for a gorgeous film. And this did win when it was in Cannes, the biggest war there that year. Mueller talks about how right after that, when he would get interviewed by, you know, either journalists or other cinematographers or people in the industry, they'd always ask, how did you get that shot with the the mirror between Travis and Jane? And he'd be like, oh, we just shot it. You know, I just figured out the lighting. (laughs) And they would get so mad at him because they just thought that he was like gatekeeping information. And he's like, no, I just shot it. Yeah, it was a real two-way mirror. Yeah. So where we're naturally heading towards now is these scenes, you know, third act here. I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it. I'm scared because it's it's an emotional it's an emotional time once you get up to it. And this movie is two and a half hours. For me, it doesn't feel that long. But once you get to that, it's like, okay, you kind of hold your breath. And it's a long time to hold your breath because it is a long enough scene because you're like, what's going to happen? And the way that that shot is just so magical and i remember even when i first saw it being like how is this happening and realizing it doesn't matter just watch it you know so how do you feel about the scene how do you feel about the look of it if it matters if we know the techniques if they had done it you know using tricks would that matter i don't think so i mean i feel if anything it might have taken me out of it if it really did feel like there was some sort of like trickery going on because that's Mm -hmm. just kind of not the movie it is and it would have been it would have really changed the tone if it did like they introduced some like you know wild like de palma-esque like you know technique (laughs) to like you know split diopter or something like that to like you'd be like oh that's okay we're going that direction now (laughs) but no i think that like how they just like they didn't fake it like it didn't it was uh like I, I i knew that it was robbie mueller's idea to do the i guess one-way mirror yeah that's it yeah one way mirror uh-huh. and like yeah the fact they just like, they didn't fake it like the you know whether it was uh nurse was it nurse bibby the, yeah. the first nurse <laughs> her or nasasha kinski like they really couldn't see harry dean stanton on the other side and they just kind of like filmed it that way and they had to i know they had to pump like a ton of light in it to like really make that work and actually make it invisible on her side i mean it it seems like it was so hard you would imagine that being so hard to shoot but like you wouldn't know it by looking at it It just felt so effortless and uh and yeah it's a huge huge scene like it almost seems like it's like the greatest stunt that every any movie's ever pulled off like it's this like you know just this huge bombastic moment but really it's just two people having a quiet conversation and somehow that feels like the like it's it's all built up to like the biggest most explosive you know seem like it's like a mission impossible level <laughs> you know something like, like spectacle and it's just kind of sam shepherd taking over with his poetry mm-hmm. 
Uh, and it all comes together. And that's when like in that scene, like it's so kind of hard to listen to just because it is so emotional and feels so invasive that you're even there listening to it. Like you're like, I shouldn't even be seeing this. This is between these two people. Why am I even, why am I allowed to be here? And in addition to it, just kind of being that emotional, it, it also really does pull the entire movie together. All that mystery that came before, all that mm-hmm. like, why was this guy wandering the desert just aimlessly? Why, why, why all of these things? It all weirdly makes sense. It's the fucking greatest. <laughs> yeah. As you said, like, you kind of feel like you shouldn't be there and they're talking through their phones and they're not looking at each other, even though oh, his back is turned. Yeah. But when he turns his back, I was like, I'm going to lose it. I can't handle this. This is too much for me to handle. And it's also a masterclass in acting from both of them, the writing, the directing, cinematography, everything. It's like one of those few scenes in like history where you're like every single thing worked perfectly. Yeah. What I also love about this is that one of the facts I read was they're shooting on film and they really didn't have that much money and they were shooting chronologically. So this is towards the end of their shooting schedule and they were running out of film. They're like, we got to get this, (laughs) you know, so you got to do it. Like Mm -hmm. we don't have the money to buy more film. So whether the added pressure, you know, helped them get there or not, but it just works so perfectly. And it's one of those things. I had this conversation with someone else where sometimes when you're looking at auteurs per se, and it's difficult to kind of pick out a shot that would represent them, I think that's a shot that I'm sure he would be so happy to be remembered by. And we could get into, you know, how it was shot and lighting. But as you said, it doesn't really matter the way it was done. It just was, as we mentioned before, he was like, I'm going to use what's available to me and we're just going to do it yeah manually totally and i think what like you're right it doesn't really matter like what techniques were used i think the thing that really matters is that and this is coming from somebody that suffers with like a low from a low attention span and like you know sometimes i do watch movies and like you know have an urge to like grab my phone can you imagine Mm -hmm. like grabbing your phone or being or looking at anything but the screen during that entire sequence like you'd have to be like a psychopath right i think so it's sociopathic (laughs) behavior yeah are you the only time i would justify i'm like are you looking away to go grab like a tissue uh, yeah sure <laughs> maybe like pause it but but it's just one of those like i can't miss like a single like even if i like you know there's a chance i misheard like one of those lines of dialogue like i gotta rewind that like i cannot yeah. miss a single thing and i mean and like you said like that's the that's a testament both to like you know the, the performances the way it's the way it's directed the cinematography it's all of those things just kind of coming together in this way it's uh you know it's such a cliche to say but it's pure cinema yep there is something i do want to track back before we we get to the ending just because when we're talking about the landscapes and how wide everything is shot and how vast everything kind of looks it, this is not a newer film you know not everyone i've been lucky enough to see it in the cinema once most of us are probably watching it over and over again at home obviously everything is always going to be better in the cinema but i think it still lends itself well to watching it at home because something about the, the visuals seems accessible right it never feels like you need to watch this in a cinema or you don't get everything because he's making it so that you feel 
like you can identify with what you're watching. So I don't know how you feel about that because I'm sure you obviously rewatched it at home unless you rented out a cinema just to rewatch it. So I don't, but <laughs> I'm going to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely going to be screening it in a theater soon. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it, and it's funny. Like I, I definitely have watched it a few times, but I haven't. Uh, watching it yesterday was actually the first time that I've seen it in, it's been like probably almost a decade, honestly. So no, mm-hmm. I, I really did feel like I remembered all the beats and there was no like, enormous surprises but just like you know the sequence of ways in in which things happened and just like you know the feelings that kind of washed over me it kind of did feel like i was watching it for the first time in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. Uh, and and i mean everything's better in a theater like there's no movie that isn't better in a theater i don't think unless you're just like you know whatever like you know i hate watching some kind of like you know stupid (laughs) stupid on netflix i guess like some things are better to watch on like netflix on your phone i guess i can see that argument but really Mm -hmm. anything that's like you know shot on film or anything that like comes from like a certain era i think it's just a better experience because you're entrenched in darkness you you don't have that option to like look at your phone uh unless you shouldn't otherwise you're a terrible person if you do (laughs) yeah but uh but yeah i mean that so it it definitely is would benefit from watching in the theater just because you know bigger distraction free is always going to be better with a film like this but yeah i don't know watching it at home and just being in like the comfort in in, like my safe place and like you know starting about my things and like you know having a little blanket and stuff Mm -hmm. really made it a great experience so i think there's there's so many different ways to enjoy this film and you know in the same way that you can watch it a bunch of times and notice something different i feel like you can watch this film in different settings and have a different Mm -hmm. experience like it'd be interesting in like to watch it in like an outdoor setting yeah that would be fascinating i feel like that would be like a whole new experience doing it that way that would be interesting actually as long as i had like a guarantee that like people were going to behave themselves i think that would be awesome especially if you saw it like you know watch it like with like a desert landscape or something like that yeah exactly like let's go to arizona and screen yeah there (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's a you know again watching at home it does feel kind of cozy despite the fact that it's depressing but there's some coziness to it Maybe because it's just very soothing to watch. Yeah. Well, there's also something like, it's interesting. Like, I, I was actually thinking about that. But, like, it's a very sad movie, but I actually don't find it depressing. And I feel like there's a distinction between, like, sad and depressing. Like, they're two, they're two mm-hmm. different things. And the movie can be sad, but also weirdly kind of joyful. And I think, it's mm-hmm. to me, it's joyful just because it is just kind of, like, rimming with humanity. The movies that I find depressing are ones that just, like, everybody's miserable and nobody, everybody's just kind of, like, a shell or, like, a husk of a person. And yeah. I don't feel like this at all. Like these really feel like people that are just kind of bursting with life. And to mm-hmm. me, that is exciting. I don't know. Maybe that's like a weird thing for me. But yeah, but that was how I felt. Like it's a sad movie, but it's very exciting. And I, I never felt that it was depressing. That's a great distinction. You know, this is sad, but it's not. It's not a bummer, you know? Yeah. It's not like a dancer in the dark. Yeah. Or <laughs> yeah, <sure. laughs> it doesn't make me want to die after. Yes. Yeah. There's so. at no point that I <laughs> contemplate suicide. And that's, uh, that's a plus. <laughs> that's always... That's always a plus. Um, <laughs> before we get into the very last scene with the the reunion between mother and son, I just want to quickly shout out because I haven't even mentioned Dean Stockwell, whom yeah. I love. And he just has such a great face. Oh, he's such a great face. I just love watching him. He's so good in this. And it's so kind of because he's he really built a career of like kind of playing weirdos. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like disarming to see him just play like a nice regular guy. Yeah. One thing that actually jumps out about uh, about his performance to me is that he and I know he's talked about this before. I, um, Robbie, I watched some of the commentary and Robbie was talking about this. Like it was such a challenge for Dean Stockwell, especially in those early scenes, because, you know, the angel mm-hmm. saying like acting is reacting. So you kind of need to have somebody to like play against and 
it's him delivering these lines and Harry Dean Stanton's giving him nothing back yeah. because, you know, <laughs> he's, he's mute and he's not saying anything. And it was incredibly difficult to like, you know, keep going, even though you're just, you know, saying lines to like a blank canvas who is barely emoting at all. Uh, yeah. And it was, yeah, it was a real challenge. But the fact that he actually was able to still pull off what he did and make that, he kind of made up for like the silence from Harry Dean Stanton by kind of being this lively. It was, it's a very like kind of physical performance. And like, mm-hmm. I don't know, there's something about that like jacket that he wears <laughs> i was so gonna mention the too. jacket <laughs> yeah. i was like i want this jacket the outfits for kind of like a on members point. only jacket i guess yeah like, it's, i don't know it's like it's just it's just like a beige like dad jacket too mm-hmm. but that and his like baseball cap like i don't know there's something so like cool and boring about it i don't oh I yeah can't put my finger on it it's dad core yeah it's dad core that's perfect yeah <laughs> I, turns out i can't put my finger on it <laughs> <laughs> I won't dwell too long on on them, but I just love their dynamic and they work so well together. And you really feel like they could be brothers. And I know obviously they're actors. That's their job. But some of the way that he delivers those lines to Travis in the early times before he starts speaking is like when you're annoyed at your sibling where you're like, can you just, (laughs) you know, stop being like this? Yeah. So great performances. Also, uh, Clema, she's great too. And Hunter um he's great as well it's uh yeah well that's hey i didn't there's one thing i learned just from doing my doing research before this i did not know that he was a son of karen black i was just gonna say that because i also didn't know had no idea yeah i was like what that's absolutely insane how is this not information that's not talked about i know i don't know how it took me that long to realize that but that's uh yeah that's 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 huge uh and of course his dad is the co-writer of the Mm -hmm. the film but and that's cool too, but Karen Black is yeah. his mom. Like, that's crazy. Uh, but he is, but you're right though, he's so good. And like, I feel a lot of like, especially like movies and 80s, they really lean into the like precocious kid thing. And sometimes it can be like just insufferable, but he's really good. Yeah, I don't know. I think about that scene a lot of like them watching the, uh, the vacation footage that like that like eight millimeter vacation footage I know. and then when he finally says as he goes to bed that night and he calls him dad for the first time, and it's like, oh, I know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just so good. And, for someone who hasn't acted before, it's it's yeah. great to be able to pull that out of a performer, yeah. especially a kid performer. Shout out to all of them before we yeah. get into. Well, I guess it's that ties into the last scene because Hunter has a great big part in this. So we're getting into now Travis brings Hunter to his mom for their reunion. And that's that's a big scene also. Right. That's where the movie ends and up until then you have his adoptive parents who are very caring and understanding whether you're a parent or not you can understand how it could be traumatizing to be like well i've raised this kid now for four years yes you're the real parents but i also don't know where you are what's happening what's the deal is she going to want to keep you is this going to mess you up even more seeing her and then she's just like i can't there's no more information after that, right? It just ends. No. It's kind of the perfect ending. Yeah. Too much information would have kind of killed it. So we were talking about how are you supposed to feel? Are you supposed to feel a certain way? I don't think you're supposed to feel any way. But I guess, how do you feel about that scene? 
yeah, I mean, too much information would have killed it. Absolutely. Like, I don't need a like title card that says like eight years later, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like, oh, look, they're a happy family. Like, you know, and they're all like, you know, they still get to see Dean Stockwell and his wife and like, yay, Mm -hmm. everything's okay. Uh, No, like, I don't need that. That would have been a horrendous ending. (laughs) Uh, But so I I like that it was that it was kind of vague and open ended. I think what really makes it work is what Nastasha Kinski does like that her reaction because you can tell that she walks in and she was kind of like nervous she's obviously very mm-hmm. nervous and you know that she's nervous because she's such a physical actress like the things that she does like she places her hair and like she she really uses that blonde hair as like it's such yeah. a uh, it's such a crush like it's it's so it's it's fascinating how like yeah she the way she twirls her hair and stuff like that um but you can always know when she's feeling like nervous or shy or uncomfortable and you can really sense that and then as soon as she saw Hunter, you could see that just melt away and just like the amount of joy. And it wasn't until she actually like, you know, picks him up and just twirls him around that for me, I was like, oh, we're good, kind of. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, I don't know that. And like, there's no way of knowing mm-hmm. that, like, you know, that's actually, you know, how long that's going to last for and like what four years later is going to look like. But in that moment. It felt so satisfying because I had absolutely no doubt that like this was good. And uh, and yeah, the, the decision from Travis to kind of just like drop the kid and mm-hmm. you know, let them have each other without him being part of the picture. Yeah, it's interesting because I'm sure people are like, well, why couldn't he have tried to actually make it work? And I think the answer to that is we all know it wasn't ever going to yeah. work. Like she's so much younger than him. And it was just like an infatuation. And like, I know that she kind of, uh, especially she wrote a lot of backstory for her character, just that it was never planned on being like filmed, but just because she wanted mm-hmm. to kind of give an extra element to her character. And it was, and she kind of went into how, like, you know, she immigrated from Europe and didn't know anybody when she arrived here. And then it, um, Travis gave her the most attention. And she mostly just loved the attention that he gave her. Yeah. And that's why she fell in love with them, which is very sweet and very romantic. But it's not really realistic in terms of like, yeah. you know, longevity. And I think he realized that it made more sense for him to be with his mom um, because that relationship just, it wasn't, I'm I'm sure it was real at one point, but it didn't seem like, you know, and he still exhibited Mm -hmm. a lot of the issues that you could tell, like through his story, what broke up that, what caused, you know, it to completely his life, they're both all their lives to fall apart. And you can still, still see that he still had those things. Like he had the jealousy when he quizzed her on like, do you take home men? Like, he's still asking her those questions. Like, he hasn't, yeah. like, gotten over that part. He's still drinking. Like, he took Hunter to the bar after. So, like, he's, mm-hmm. you know, there's absolutely, like, I feel like it went out of its way to show us that, like, oh, these things are going to, this behavior is going to repeat. And I think he realized that and he made an executive decision that would be yeah. best for them. That's how I felt. Which shows in that little spurt of time, like, character growth, because... That's just growth for anyone to have the realization to be like, I'm not the best person for yeah. these people, whether I'm still in their lives to some capacity, that's different. Mm-hmm. But just being like, this won't work because I haven't fully changed yet. So I can't be your main person right right now. So I, I love that ending. And it's it's sad, but it's it's also heartwarming. And as you said, when she picks him up, that's when I was able to finally breathe again and being like, even if... Yeah. We don't know what happens, but mm-hmm. again, it doesn't really matter. That's Paris, Texas in the smallest nutshell. Really, it's a film that needs to be seen and we can talk about it all day. 
But before I hand it off to the, the last section, is there any other points you'd like to bring up in terms of the visual aspects of the film? Oh, great question. I mean, we already kind of went into the theme park cheap show. That was the one I really wanted to make sure. <laughs> oh, I do want to talk a little bit about Natasha Kitsky's uh, pink sweater, like that iconic yep. pink sweater mm-hmm. that, I mean, this is just like, you know, this is just trivia, but I thought it was so cool. I found out that like, like up until like the day of shooting, uh, the inventor was like, this, nothing's working. None of, none of the wardrobe's quite working. And this, again, goes back to what you're saying is like, nothing was planned. It's just kind of that instinctual thing of like, what's going to work? We don't know, but when we see it, we'll know. And they're mm-hmm. going through so many word, wardrobe changes and it just like, nothing was quite working. And then like the morning of shooting that scene, the costume designer found that pink sweater at a garage sale. Which is just like, it's one of those, like, it's as serendipitous as like the movie. It's just like, it's so perfectly in line with that kind of just things just kind of happen and they work out. And of course, as soon as they saw that, they were like, oh my God, Mm -hmm. that's her sweater. Of course, that's her sweater. Like, how could it be anything but that? Yeah. Um, And it's it's iconic. Like, it's another another thing where sometimes you'll see on the internet, (laughs) like images (laughs) where it's like... (laughs) <laughs> the face is blocked out and you just see the silhouette and you'll see like the pink sweater and the blonde hair and you're like yeah i know what that is i oh, know yeah. what movie that is yeah i don't need to see the rest of it i know exactly what that is and that's that's wild to yeah. be like it could have been a day late or they could have not come across the garage sale and we yeah. would never have had that sweater so it was meant to be yeah absolutely yeah, well, I'm glad we got to yeah. <laughs> end on that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I forgot to bring that up. So I'm glad that you did. That's why I have guests on. I don't do this by myself. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to get into the last couple questions of the show in the end credits here. The first one is, if someone comes up to you and says, Hey, Brendan, I am getting into looking at films from a cinematographer perspective. I hear about this Robbie Mueller guy. I've never seen any of his films. Where should I start? Which one do you think would give me the best version of him so I can move forward? Which film are you picking? Would it be this one? If so, why? If not, which one of his films would you pick? Such a great question. And I do feel like, you know, uh, I'm biased since we've been talking about this movie. I'm getting so Mm -hmm. much about it. (laughs) But honestly, I do kind of think that it is Paris, Texas. And I think Mm -hmm. why is because it really just does highlight like, everything that is amazing and magical about what he does and what he can do is kind of on full display here. And I really can't, I can't imagine anybody like liking Robbie Mueller, but not liking his work here. And vice versa, I can't imagine, like, I feel like if somebody were to watch Paris, Texas, and been like, yeah, I don't really like the look of this movie. I don't think I'd recommend anybody yeah. keep watching his movies. You know, it's like, if you don't like this, then like, I don't really see how you're going to like dance in the dark <laughs> or like, you know, even like, I mean, even like Repo Man or something like that. Like I would say like maybe Repo Man's a little bit more fun. I mean, it's a lot mm-hmm. more fun. It's like one of the funniest <laughs> movies ever. But, <laughs> but I mean, it's uh, like, I feel like this really does like summarize kind of what it's, 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 it capsul- encapsulate what he does. And uh, yeah, so I think this is kind of the best place to start. And if you like this, keep going. And if you don't like this, just move on. Maybe you just don't like movies. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly that. I think for me, my my answer is also Parasexes. I'm biased. As I said, this is my second favorite film of all time. I'm always going to push Parasexes. And as you said, like, if you don't like this film visually, if the, if the visual part of this film is what bothers you, yeah. I cannot imagine how you would like anything else that he would do 
or not to be harsh, how you would like film in general. Yeah, (laughs) and it does feel like you know. I mean, like, and again, like, I love Repo Man. I love like to live and die in LA. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I yeah. uh, But I do feel that like, and as beautiful as those films are, those really do feel like the work of the director. And I yeah. think with this one, although this is through through a Vendors film, it, it kind of feels like it's co-directed by Robbie Mueller. Oh yeah, as much as he would disagree, I, sure, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I would say no. He definitely yeah. was a big part of it. Absolutely. Yeah, so both in agreement there. The second question is the double bill question, and I will say that most people don't give me just one double bill because it's dependent on the feel. Who's it for? Is it for me? What's the deal here? So if you have more than one. That's totally fine. But if you're creating a double bill, uh, either for yourself or someone else, what film would you pair this with and why? It doesn't have to be a Wonders film. It can be. It doesn't even need to be. Some people just go completely off kilter and be like, this is my reason why I would want these two together. So, Yeah, that's interesting. So it doesn't even have to be a Robbie Mueller double bill. Uh -uh. Um, Okay. It's hard because like, man how do you watch another movie after watching this? Yeah. You know? So I feel like it would need to be first or else it would need to be something totally different. Like I wouldn't want to like, like I wouldn't double build this with like David Lynch's a straight story or something like that, because it's a little mm-hmm. bit too, and it's kind of, you know, they're, they're, they're different movies, but it's kind of like retreading on like kind of the same wavelength a bit. So I would want something that would kind of go a totally different direction. Man, that is a tough question. I mean, the easy answer is to like, you know, take a break and then just go right into to live and die in LA, I think. Yeah. That's a that's a good one. Yeah. Just because like I feel like when the movie ended, like I'm like, okay, that was a very emotional experience. And I don't think I want to go through that again. Mm-hmm. But I still want I don't want to leave that world necessarily. That's <laughs> so true. If going right into Slip and Die in LA, it's like you still get to like, you know, still get to live in like that that world and the way that 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 looks and feels, but it's just kind of like, you know, a lot more fun, a lot more easy to digest. And especially after that, it's a, you know, it's a nice dessert after a after a big hearty meal. Yeah, exactly. I that's a great pairing. And it's interesting, as you said, do I start with something else and end with Paris, Texas? Uh that's kind of the route I went movie I'll pair it with was first and then Paris, Texas. And when you said David Lynch's straight story, but I heard David Lynch first, I was like, oh no, I picked a Lynch movie. I hope he's not going to say that. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I mean, not that it would be wrong if somebody went straight story because, you know, that those are two great movies, but I just feel mm-hmm. like with double features, I prefer to not, yeah, to, to something that really does kind of take a different, a different tone and it's, uh, it mm-hmm. shifts gears a bit. Yeah. So I, I went wild at heart for it because i think it's kind of also well it is also yeah a road movie i would start off with the chaos and go into paris texas again there probably would need to be a break there just to breathe (laughs) there to be like okay now i'm moving into another world that's less chaotic it's emotionally i guess chaotic but not you know Mm -hmm. as chaotic as well the heart it's hard to watch another film after you watch paris texas i didn't watch something after and i watched it early enough where i could have watched something else but i was like you know what i'm just gonna let this sit with me for the rest of the night. Yeah. So you're going wild at heart first then. Wild at heart first. I I like that because like you said it's very chaotic but it ends on such a I don't know it it ends on a on a very like you know light and kind of romantic and that doesn't feel that 
unlike it. So it does feel like like if, if mm-hmm. this were like a mixtape, like yeah. the two <laughs> songs would flow into each other very nicely. You know, it wouldn't yeah. be a, a jarring, uh, yeah, <laughs> a jarring yeah, transition. No. Yeah, no, you can go something like if you're going to go contrast, you can do kind of like a, a Von Trier with mm-hmm. this because that would be like, I don't know, it'd take a long time to recover from mm-hmm. all of that. And there's definitely like similar themes there in terms of the like, mm-hmm. you know, fatherhood and like, you know, am I actually ready to be a dad? And <laughs> yeah, I guess in terms of Weldon Hart, yes, he is. And in terms of yeah. Paris, Texas, <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> there you go. You know, uh, the uh, binaries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are interesting double bills and and from interesting filmmakers and just vibes throughout. I think that's that's the theme of this episode that's the theme of Mueller in general vibes yeah, what it's all about right vibes <laughs> that's how i'm trying to live my life i've i've I've, jo- I've joked about this before but honestly it's not really a joke i'm just like i don't care about plot like i actually do not care about oh, my plot in a movie i just care about character and vibes that's all i care about that's all i want Same. in a film i feel like sometimes plot can just get in the way yeah I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me about such an important film and to chat about Robbie Mueller and cinema. And But yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Um, well, I can tell you right now, I had a terrible time and I will never come back. Noted. No, I'm lying. I uh, <laughs> no, That was actually so much fun. And uh, and I did, like I said, I was kind of nervous talking about it because like it's, it's easy to talk about a film that is just like fun and silly and like, you know, I do it a lot when I'm on stage, but when it is a film mm-hmm. that really does evoke like strong feelings, I, I was kind of nervous. But uh, yeah, as soon as we got started, it was like, I don't know, it's so, it, it's, it's weirdly an easy movie to talk about uh, because it is kind of so simple and it is just really, it's a personal experience for everybody. So it really, you're not talking about how like, you know, complicated the plot is or anything like mm-hmm. that. You're just talking about like the things that it evokes. So yeah, I had fun. I had, I had a lot of fun talking about it and uh, yeah, I, don't, I love talking about film. <laughs> yeah. So. I think it's, it's one of those where I was also nervous, but I was like, you know what? I'm just going to gush about this movie. So yeah. Yeah. Just have fun with it. So, yeah. Totally uh well it was just delightful and uh, i really appreciate you having me on and uh yeah and congratulations on building this uh cool podcast it's uh it's <laughs> fun seeing faces in movies is an official podcast at the royale film club it's hosted and edited by felicia maroney intro music by lemar rocker if you like what you heard let us know at seeingfacesinmovies.com or send us an email at seeingfacesinmovies at gmail.com and while you're at it please subscribe and rate the show wherever you listen to your podcast and stay tuned for our next episode of 24 hour party people